Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Morning, Crosswinds family. I'd like to begin with a question. It's a pretty easy question, but it's an important one. How do you become a Christian? I mean, if somebody were to grab you at the end of this service and say, I've been coming to church here for a while, and this Jesus thing, what's it all about? How do I become a Christian? I mean, what would you say? What would you do? Around the, the world today, there are pastors that are preaching. Pastors are inviting people to become a Christian. But how do we know that what the pastors are telling people to do is actually the right thing? That they're literally becoming a Christian. Not something that looks like a Christian, but is actually just a cheap imitation that doesn't hold up under pressure. How do we know what it means to become a Christian? This morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be answering those questions. And how do I know that we're going to be answering it the right way? Well, we're going to look at the original gospel invitation, the original definition of what it means to become a Christian. And how do I know it's the original one and it's the right one? Well, because it comes from Jesus. And that's how we know what the standard is, and everything else is derived from there. But I'm, I'm afraid to tell you that once we study what Jesus says about what it means to become a Christian, you'll find that a lot of other gospel invitations you hear today don't match up, and they fall far short. So I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the key text that we'll be studying this morning. It's Mark chapter 8, verse 34. We'll be reading in, and then we're going to read all the way down to Mark chapter 9, verse 1. So I'd like to ask you to not just open your Bibles, but stand out of reverence for God's Word as we read these verses together. Beginning in chapter Mark, or <laughs> chapter 8, verse 34. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. That ends the reading of God's Word, and you may be seated. Uh, these verses that we're going to study this morning are actually unique to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, they are found in other Gospels as well. I think you can find them in Matthew chapter 16 and Luke chapter 9. Uh, this definition that Jesus gives of what does it mean to be a Christian was very important, not just to Mark, 
but to the other gospel writers. So that's why they included this definition in their gospels. But the first thing I'd like you to notice about this is the definition that Jesus gives of what it really means to be a Christian is that it's very costly, isn't it? It costs us a lot. It's not an easy thing to do. You do not become a Christian because it'll make you healthier, because it'll make you richer, because it'll make you more popular. You do not become a Christian because it will grow your business or it'll improve your self-image. You do not become a Christian because it will give you trouble-free living. No, if you become a Christian, it will cost you everything. Everything is what Jesus says. Lest you think this idea of becoming a Christian and giving up everything is just isolated to these particular verses in the Gospel of Mark and in their parallels in Matthew and Luke. Let us take our finger and just drag it through a couple other biblical texts to see what the Bible says about becoming a Christian, particularly from the words of Jesus. If you have your outlines, let's look at this first one from Luke chapter 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus said, what does it cost to become a a Christian? What does it cost if you want to follow me? Be prepared that you will have to pay a very high relational cost. Or be willing at least to pay that high relational cost. Those that you love most may be against you, may leave you. Your own children, your own brothers, your own sister your own family. You have to be willing to hate your own father and mother. Now, lest you misunderstand, this is not talking about absolute hatred of a father and mother. This is talking about relative hatred of a father and mother. That your love for Jesus must be so much greater, your commitment to Jesus must be so much higher, that even your love for your parents must be considered like hatred in comparison to your love for Jesus. And he sums it up. You have to be willing to even renounce your own life. If you will not live that way, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot become a Christian. Being a Christian is a very costly thing because Jesus must be absolute first and foremost in your life. Let's look at the next verse set that we have in our outline. Or what king? after going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my 
disciples. Jesus says, do you want to become a Christian? (laughs) Becoming a Christian is not an emotional decision we make at the end of a Christian rock concert with tears in our eyes as they're playing the music slow and all emotional. And we, we come forward as an emotional decision. That, that doesn't count. Jesus says becoming a Christian is a cold, calculated, rational, well-thought-through decision where you realize following Him will cost you Everything. Folks, Jesus says I need to be first in your finances, first in your dating, first in your entertainment, first in your hobbies. You've not thought through what it means to be a Christian and have Jesus and your commitment to Him to be first above all, willing to renounce everything to follow Him. As Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be a Christian. Another example, Luke chapter 9. And they were going along the road, and someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead, bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here we have two people who are invited to become Christians, to invited to become disciples of Christ, but as you see, it doesn't really work out well for them. Uh, the first guy says, I will follow you, but first I want to go and bury my father. Now, that sounds like a reasonable request. What do we got, a week for a funeral, and then he'll follow Jesus? But many Bible scholars point out that bury my father is a Hebrew idiom that means to take care of my parents until they die someday. We have no idea how long it will be that he will wait till he can bury his father. Most likely what is going on is he is in business with his father, sort of like you're farming the farm fields with your father. When the father passes away, you inherit those and you take over where he left off. So, sort of what he's saying is, why don't we wait to follow you, Jesus? I'll farm with my father until he dies, then I'll get all the inheritance, and then, then I will follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no way. If you're following me, I come first. First before your financial independence and future. The next guy, he seems really reasonable as well. He says, Jesus, I'll follow you. At first, let me go just say farewell to my family. Now, I don't know exactly if this is right or not, but many Bible scholars believe that what he is talking about here is not just saying, like, goodbye to his family, but I'll follow you once I'm able to create financial independence for my family. I know that my family is well taken care of for in my absence. 
So like the original guy put uh, his inheritance from his father before Jesus, this particular guy is putting caring and loving his family in front of Jesus. And what does Jesus say? No way. To become a Christian means that I am, you are, Jesus is first in your life. You follow him above all if you are a Christian. Now, I, I say this just simply to point out that Jesus is very clear that becoming a Christian, becoming a disciple of Christ, is a very costly thing to do. It will cost you everything. Jesus comes before anything else in your life. That is the complete and total testimony of Scripture. Now, knowing that is a persistent theme through Scripture, let's return to Mark chapter 8 and see how Jesus talks about becoming a Christian. Point one, how do I become a Christian? The answer is found in verse 34. In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Before we delve into this too deeply, remember the context in this verse is spoken in. In the last few weeks, we had seen that uh, the first half of the Gospel of Mark had this question over it. Who is Jesus? And finally, literally through supernatural divine revelation of the Holy Spirit, Peter was the first human being to put together the proper answer. He recognized, Jesus, you are the, the Christ. And as soon as Peter recognized the identity of Jesus, Jesus began telling Peter, the mission of the Christ, the mission of what he would do, that he would suffer, that he would be rejected by the Sanhedrin, that he would die and that he would rise in three days. And Peter didn't like that at all because the background that he had grown up with was that the Christ would be a victorious military ruler. The Christ would help them overthrow the Romans. The Christ would help them establish Israel as the nation that would be the lead nation of the world. Jerusalem as the capital city of the world with Christ, the Christ in charge of the world. And Peter pictured himself reigning and ruling with Christ on earth. And this idea of Jesus going to suffer, Jesus going to die is completely contrary to everything that... Peter understood. So we saw last week that Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, which is sort of weird. You don't really rebuke Jesus. Then Jesus uh, turned around and said, no, 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 Peter, I'm going to rebuke you. You have the wrong idea. Get behind me, Satan. And then he comes along and now Jesus says, let me show you what it means to be my disciple. And here's the parallel. Jesus' path that God had chosen for him would be suffering first, glory later. And Jesus now says to his disciples, not just Peter and the rest of the twelve, but to the crowds, 
He says to us as well, if you want to be my disciples, you must understand it is denying yourself. It is taking up your cross. It is going to be a life of suffering now and glory later because we are following on the same path as Jesus. We are walking on the sa- in the same footsteps of Jesus. This is Jesus' original gospel invitation. And folks, unfortunately, so many people today say, come to Christ to make your life better. Come to Christ to make your life rich. Come to Christ to take away all your troubles. And Jesus says the exact opposite. Come to me, deny yourself, suffer, maybe even die but the end will be glory. Now, let me go ahead and just tease this out a little bit. What does Jesus mean when he says we have to become a Christian? Number one, I must deny myself. Let's look at what this means. Denying myself is a term that is easily misunderstood because at first we think, oh, Jesus is saying we just have to have some self-denial. Well, that's good. Self-denial, I probably should go on a diet. (laughs) I can give up chocolate cake for Lent. (laughs) That's self-denial. But that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say we need a little self-denial. He said we need to deny our self. Here's the problem. In our hearts and in our life, we think that we are the most important person in this world. We think the world centers around us. Culture tells you, you do what you want to do. You live out your dreams. This world is all about you, making you happy. You become a Christian. You deny yourself. This life is no longer about you. It's not about you making you happy and what you want. It's about Jesus. It is, I want to do what makes Jesus happy. I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. I am no longer at the center. Jesus is at the center. My life is not about my happiness. My life is about His happiness. You see, when you become a Christian, the questions that you ask inside yourself constantly are changed. You're a single person. It's not what do I want in a girlfriend or what do I want in a boyfriend. It's what does Jesus want me to look for in a girlfriend? What does Jesus want me to look for in a boyfriend? It's not what do I want to do with my money. It's what does Jesus want me to do with His money. It's not how do I want to spend my free time. It's how does Jesus want me to spend my life with His time that He has given to me. It's not what do I want to do for my career in life. It's I have 50, maybe 30 years in this life. What does Jesus want me to do with those 30 to 50 years to make Him famous? 
Because it's not about me, my friends. You deny yourself. Your life, if you are a Christian, is all about Jesus and living for his fame, living for his glory. That's what it means to be a Christian. Now, if you're a young adult, I'd like to talk to you. You oftentimes are tricked. Come through high school, and all of a sudden you're faced with college. What is the first thing that everybody asks you? What's your major? What are you going to pursue? You have to know what your career is. And they say, what do you want to do with your life? And as Christian teens, it's so easy to just fall into that trap. But if you're really a Christian, and you understand what Jesus says is the definition of being a Christian, you ask a different question. It's not do I want to do with my career. What does Jesus want me to do with the life he gave me? He's at the center. He is the one I want to please no matter what kind of sacrifice I have to make. Now there's another way that sometimes this gets misunderstood. Sometimes what will happen is we'll say, well, here's what I want to do with my life and my choices and my career, but I'm going to ask Jesus to bless it. You ever seen that one out there? Here's my dreams. Jesus, baptize it. That doesn't count. Still not right. Because Jesus says being a Christian means we deny ourselves. Not Jesus ask, asking Jesus to work with my dreams, but me submitting to his dreams for what he wants to do with my life. Now, I know as soon as I say this, there's a visceral reaction inside of many of us. This is terrible. If I really just ask the question, what does Jesus want me to do? How can I make his name famous for the next 30 to 50 years? I'd get to the end of my life. I had all these unfulfilled dreams, unfulfilled desires. I'd live with regrets. Really? You think that's the way it works? Let me just show you another passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. What Jesus is saying in these parables, giving up your life to become a Christian, to follow Christ, giving up what you had for your dreams and, and, and your future because you wanted to make Jesus famous, it's totally worth it. It is worth giving up those things to make Jesus famous and to live your life totally sold up, sold out for him. So the first step of what it means to become a Christian, he says, is um, we deny ourselves. 
My life is no longer about me and making me famous. It's about Jesus and making him famous. The second step, Jesus says, is I must take up my cross. Now, we have to understand, this is an often misunderstood phrase in our current culture because taking up the cross in our culture means, well, I have to really endure a minor inconvenience nowadays. I have to just take up my cross. That's not what it meant when this was written. Taking up the cross meant being willing to suffer and die even in the most horrific, barbaric way possible. And that was abundantly clear for the original audience. Some scholars who have researched this have said you need to realize that during the lifetime of Jesus, approximately, let's say, 30 years, the Romans crucified 30,000 people. One time they crucified 800 at once. Another time they crucified 2,000 at once. Crosses were not in a behind-the-scenes place. They were literally placed along the road. So people on the road would see others die. It was an instrument of terror. Those who died on the cross took days, three days, four days, five days, some even known up to a week, as they dangle between life and death slowly being asphyxiated out of exhaustion and pain. They died of infection. They died of animals eating them alive where they were defenseless on the cross to be able to shoo an animal away. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, be willing to take up your cross. We may suffer. We may die. Expect it. It was the path of Jesus that God the Father chose for him to walk, suffering first, glory later. Know that it's also the path that he chooses for God's followers to walk, suffering first, glory later. Now, you may... <laughs> not literally die for your faith. We live in a particular time period in history, in a particular place in our culture, where we are in a really protected Christian enclave. But that doesn't mean you won't suffer for your faith. You may have to give up certain friends and experience loneliness because you can't hang out with them anymore and can't do what they were doing anymore. Your family may mock you. Your family may not understand you because of your faith. That's all part of the suffering that we should expect. Suffering that comes with it. We have to resist those burning temptations and desires for sin where others would just jump in with both feet and enjoy it. That's part of suffering for our faith. We should expect it. That is normal for our faith. Would people really be killed for their faith today? Most definitely. Maybe some of you remember when ISIS was at its heyday 
and they were controlling a large part of, of territory, and, and they were trying to create a large caliphate. And then uh, in 2015, they were especially oppressive to Christians, Christians in the Middle East. Some of you may remember about the 21 Coptic Christians they beheaded. Do you have that uh, slide for me? Do you remember that scene, guys? You saw it on the news. These men are Coptic Christians. They're from Egypt. They've trusted in Jesus Christ. And what these Muslims have done is they said, you renounce Jesus and worship Muhammad or we will kill you. They did not renounce Christ. And moments after this photo was taken, they pulled out hunting knives and they hacked and whacked and chopped and ground their heads off and poured their bodies into the sea to make the sea run red with blood. And none of those Coptic Christians turned from Christ. you know why? Because they had read their Bible. That suffering for Christ is to be expected. Taking up your cross is part of the path of Christians. We may suffer in this life and even die for Christ in this life, but glory is found in the next life with Jesus. Now for us today, as I said, we live in a protected time where most of our suffering is mild in comparison. We may not give up our life for Jesus. You may not be called to do that, but you never know when you can be faced with that question. Everyone in this room needs to be prepared to suffer and die for Jesus. That's to be expected. I'll give you an example. Some of you know a girl named Cassie. Cassie lived in Colorado. She got up and one morning, it was a day like usual, she had her breakfast cereal, she went to school, and she started to hear some these popping sounds. And people said there was a shooter at Columbine. And Cassie, like the other students, got under the table in the library. Incidentally, Cassie had recently become a Christian. And one of the shooters walked into the library and saw Cassie and knew that she had become a Christian. And they pulled her out from under the table and they put a gun to her head. And they said to her, do you believe in Jesus now? And she said, yes. And he pulled the trigger and blew her away. A high school student in the middle of America one morning that she never expected that she would have to give her life for Christ. Folks, it can happen to you. It can happen to me in a moment's notice. She said yes. Would you say yes in that moment? The path is suffering now and glory later. As it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. The third step, after denying ourselves and living for Jesus, and taking up our cross and being willing to suffer for Jesus, the third step of being a Christian is I give loyal obedience to Jesus. As it says here in the outline, for John chapter 14, verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That if you are going to be a Christian and follow Jesus, you will obey the words of Jesus. Let me summarize what Jesus has said is the original gospel invitation, what it means to be a Christian and follow him. Deny ourselves. We are no longer at the center. Jesus is at the center. We live all for what he wants us to do. Take up our cross. Be willing to suffer, even die for Jesus, which is normal. And then we live in loyal obedience to his commandments. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is crazy. I mean, how could it be worth it to live like this? To give up everything for Jesus. And that's where the rest of the text goes. You need to realize that becoming a Christian, as Jesus describes it, is a really, really good deal. It's one of the best things you can ever do. Here's the question. Is the high cost of becoming a Christian worth it? Yes. The only way to save my life in the next world is to be willing to lose my life for Jesus in this world. That's the only way, folks. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. And you can sit there and say, well, I want to hang on to my life in this world. I want to make my life not about Jesus. I really want to make it about me in this world. I really don't want to face any suffering in this world for Christ. That's fine. You can do that. Just know you're going to hell. That's what he says. The only way to save your life in the next world is to deny yourself and be willing to lose your life in this world. One great disservice that was done to the church theologically about 30 to 40 years ago was a trend that came around that said, Jesus can be your Savior, but Jesus doesn't need to be your Lord. It was popular to say that if you trusted in Christ when you were four years old, uh, maybe at VBS during the summer, and you said the sinner's prayer, that meant you were, you were saved. And you didn't have to know Jesus. You didn't have to follow Jesus. You didn't have to sacrifice for Jesus. You didn't have to live for Jesus. You could be about yourself to your dying day. And it was okay because Christ was still your Savior from when you were four but he wasn't the Lord of your life. Real popular about 30 years ago. Only problem is it's a lie that sends people to hell. Because those who were peddling that bad theology did not talk to Jesus. Now, is denying ourselves, suffering for Christ, and living for Christ a bad idea? Is it a bad exchange? No. Remember, denying yourself and living for Jesus in this life means eternity as the most blessed being in the universe for the next life. 
living for yourself in this life. Wilting like a weed that's been hit with Roundup as soon as you face suffering for Jesus in this life. It means eternity apart from Christ instead of with Him. Look what the Scriptures say, 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. And this world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Folks, this life is temporary. It's worth living for Jesus now and living forever. Hebrews 11, 35-38. Some were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Why were these heroes of the faith willing to suffer so much in this life? Because they know that true life is not about this life. True life is about the next life. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Be willing to suffer and follow me, is what Jesus said. The next reason that it is worth it to pay this high cost of becoming a Christian is that saving my soul is more valuable than all the wealth of the world. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Deny yourself, not living for you and your comforts and your pleasures and your desires and suffering. Well, I'm going to really ruin my income potential. I'm not going to be able to achieve everything I want financially. Maybe I'm not going to look as good in my stock portfolio because I gave sacrificially to Jesus and His kingdom. Is that really worth it? Folks, the salvation of your soul is worth more than all the money in the world can buy. Some of you have heard of Steve Jobs, Apple computer uh, CEO. You know, he died of pancreatic cancer a few years ago. At the time, he was worth $10 billion. That was a B, not an M. $10 billion. Today, with his stock value, he is officially, as a dead man, worth $31.6 billion. But he doesn't know Christ, didn't live for Christ, die without Christ. Today he is in Hades. One day he will be officially judged by Jesus and in hell. He could offer Jesus all $31.6 billion and it will never save his soul for all of eternity. His money is useless. Folks, if you are a Christian, you have chosen to deny living for yourself and you choose to live for Jesus and you're willing to suffer for Jesus and follow Jesus, you have something that is worth more than all the money in the world could ever buy. The very salvation of your soul by Jesus Christ. 
all of eternity for all of time, being the most blessed beings in the universe as a gift from Jesus. Oh, it is so worth laying down our lives and being willing to suffer and being willing to die if we need to for Jesus. Third reason it's worth paying this high price to become a Christian. Boldly living for Jesus is the only way to have confidence on the day of judgment. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Folks, this world will not go on forever. Our life will not go on forever. The scriptures are very clear that one day history will end. Jesus will return. And when he returns, the Bible tells us he will return in glory and power. And he will be the judge. We studied this over the summer. Remember our hell series, the day of judgment when we studied it? It'll be a terrifying day because Jesus will expose everyone. Jesus will judge everyone completely and totally and fairly, and it will not be a judgment to determine if you are in heaven or if you are in hell. It will be a judgment to determine, for the vast majority of people, their degree of punishment in the lake of fire, in hell, because hell is actually a fair and just response to sin. The greater the sin in this life, the greater the suffering in hell in the next life. But here's the neat part. For those who have denied themselves, they've become Christians. They've lived for Christ. They have been willing to suffer for Christ. They have followed Christ. Christ's return is not a day of terror and judgment. It is a day of joy and celebration. It is a day when we see Jesus, our Savior, face to face, and we will be with him as the object of his affection forever and ever. Friends, the only way to not have the day of judgment, which is certainly coming, be a day that is filled with fear, is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. To become a Christian. In the interest of time, I want to skip to the, the very end here. I want to just talk about this. A number of us have come to church for years. We've heard Bible messages for a long time. Many of us uh, have become Christians, but I wonder what kind of Christian are you? Is the Christian that you have become a Christian where Jesus is there to help and improve your, your family life? Jesus is there to help improve your self-image? Jesus is there to make you more comfortable? If that's the Christian that you became many years ago, maybe you're not a Christian at all. And I would invite you today to actually become a Christian by the definition that Jesus gave. 
Today, would you choose to deny yourself? No longer is life about what you want in living for your glory and your fame. It's about what Jesus wants, his glory and his fame. Being willing to embrace suffering in whatever form it comes, whether it's suffering in a little way for Jesus or even being willing to give up your life for Jesus and then to follow and obey the commands of Jesus. What does it mean to become a Christian? It means the definition of Jesus. But let me tell you something. The great sacrifice of becoming a Christian is worth every sacrifice you make. Because it means the salvation of your soul. And it results in something more precious than all the money in the world could ever buy. Eternity with Christ as the object of his love and affection. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we just want to confess that for many of us, we've had a cheap imitation of what it means to become a Christian running around in our hearts and minds. We've been living for ourselves, living for our pleasure and our glory, not dying to ourselves and putting number one, your pleasure and your glory. We've been so unwilling to suffer, feeling that is just too hard and too difficult. But today I ask that you would help us to repent of that sin, deny ourselves and be willing to embrace suffering in whatever form it may come from you, realizing the path you have us to follow is suffering first and glory second, the same path that our very Savior trod. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.